Hidden, a true crime podcast. A forensic psychologist and a journalist explore the hidden motives behind unthinkable crimes while examining our deepest fears along the way. Thank you, everyone, for being here tonight. We are live from location, two separate locations. We are not, I guess we're always in separate locations, but not like this, not, not hundreds <laughs> right. of miles away from each other. So, well, one, uh, one location is like, I don't know, you know, 15 feet away. And this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is like 800 miles away. So, yes. Yes. Thank you to those who are joining in with us, especially after my live Friday night. Uh, I am out of town missing my husband and co-host, Dr. John Mathias, but so grateful he can be here tonight. Uh, just so everybody knows, this is going to be a live where we're going to process a lot together because um, a little bit of info, Dr. John just finished reading both uh, civil lawsuits, both civil lawsuits that were filed and um, filed in uh, the third district court in Salt Lake County um, against Tim Ballard, Operation Underground Railroad and its board members. Right before we jumped on this live, we're running so, we're, we've been so busy and, and so much is going on here where I am that I haven't even, I, I asked John what he thought and he said, just let's go live. We'll, you'll find out. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go since we're, we're in separate locations and we really haven't had a chance to talk, but there's a, there's a lot to talk about. We'll just have to, we'll have to kind of ask good questions and have some audience help maybe, and we'll put the pieces together. Yeah. A special thank you to our moderators that we do not always thank them enough because they always kind of underplay what they do, but I do want to thank our mods here tonight. John, let's just start with what did you think? Tim Ballard, Operation Underground Railroad, the subject of the movie Sound of Freedom, and yes, he plays a part in other cases we cover. Go ahead. What are your thoughts? Process it with us. So uh, I guess the first thing I would say is for those of you who haven't listened to our first episode of Tim Ballard, I'd recommend going back and listening to that because I think that's a, a good introduction and we talk a lot about a thing, a lot about many things we will not talk about tonight. Tonight, I think we're going to do more of a deep dive into the civil suits and the documents and we're going to hear from a lot of the victims. In that sense, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to repeat or cover a lot of the material we already covered, but there's, there's so much new stuff here. I think that the fact that there's, Multiple victims, more or less all saying the same thing. It certainly gives a lot of credence to their stories and to their accusations. I guess we should say, too, obviously, these these are not criminal charges. These are civil complaints. That's quite different than criminal. And these are alleged. They're not, this hasn't gone to trial. It will go to trial, I'm sure, but it hasn't. At this point in time, obviously, Tim Boward is still innocent of anything and all the charges. And we should probably say that disclaimers before we start. The The first thing I want to pick up on and mention, because I, I, I just, I couldn't get past it, was the fact that Tim Ballard has a pseudonym or a false name for these operations. Do you, do you remember what that is? 
Lauren. The couple, the couple's ruse. No, no, no. He has, he has, he has a name for himself. So his name is Brian. Oh yes. Brian. Okay. Brian. Right. But in, there's one place in, I don't know, in, in over a hundred documents, there's one place where one of the victims actually identifies his last name and his, so his full name as an undercover op is Brian Black. Yes. Brian Black. So let's start with that. Cause I mean, if you're going to pick a name, um, you know, Brian Black is a really interesting name to pick in the sense that, you know, I, I don't know, for those of you who watched Westworld, uh, I know that wasn't a hugely popular show, but it's a fascinating show. Westworld featured a character played by Ed Harris, fascinating character, kind of the face of darkness in that particular show. But uh, the character in Westworld that Ed Harris played was called the Man in Black. And the man in black was a bad guy, obviously. He didn't start out that way, by the way. His name, so we learn at the end that his name is William. And in some of the earlier episodes, William enters Westworld as kind of this, he's, he, he chooses the white hat, the white cowboy hat, and the white outfit. And he perceives himself as sort of this do-gooder that's going to come into this fantasy world and help people and save the damsel in distress, right? So that's how it starts, but over time, we learn that William transforms. That William's that he becomes this this man in black, and he ends up becoming a killer. And he sort of acts out all these really dark fantasies. And, and so I I couldn't, you know, I couldn't help notice the irony in this name Brian Black, in the sense that, in a way, it kind of reminded me of William and the transformation of William in Westworld, in the sense that. William becomes this man in black, perhaps in the same way that, that Tim Ballard does in, in some sense. Um, there's almost, with Tim Ballard, I think, this dissociative element, or let's call it kind of a Jekyll Hyde component. There's this part of him that wants to do good, wants to help these children, right? That he's connected to religion and God and to his faith, and then there's this part of him that is in this kind of dark undercover world acting out these deviant sexual fantasies. So I think it's interesting to speculate about, I'm going to read, this is, this is a famous line from the man in black in Westworld towards the end where he kind of reveals what's really going on with him. And this is what, this is what the man in black says. He says, quote, the darkness wasn't marred from something I've done. I was shedding my skin. The darkness was what was underneath. It was mine all along. Hmm. So, you know, the, this is a question we raise a lot on our show. Did, did Tim Ballard break bad or was Tim Ballard sort of this black character all along, this Brian Black character all along? Is this is this an alter ego that's always been an expression of himself or something else, right? And, and um, you know, it's an interesting question with Tim Ballard. I don't really know enough about his background and his childhood to answer it, but 
I think there's a real irony in the fact that he's, you know, why not choose the name Brian White? <laughs> and wear right. the white, wear the white hat and the right and the white outfit. It kind of like William did in Westworld. But, um, you know, perhaps I'm reading too much into this, but I, I think there really is this alter ego. And by the way, yeah. one of the victims talks about that. One of the victims mentions that that Brian is this alter ego that kind of has free reign in these covert operations in foreign countries, right? That there's kind of a, in a sense, that's a little like Westworld too. So Westworld is this fictitious environment where people can pay money to go visit. It's a theme park. They can go pay money to visit and they can act out their wildest fantasies, even if those fantasies involve transgressing laws and social norms and rules, because those don't exist in Westworld. So basically in Westworld, you can do whatever you want. You know, in a way... I could argue that human trafficking, and I know there's people that are going to really not like this analogy, but in a way I could argue that human trafficking or these human trafficking operations in foreign countries were Tim Ballard's version of Westworld. And for the people who have seen the show, you will, you guys will know what I'm talking about. So it is as, as one of the, um, as one of the victims wrote, and this is a victim that was actually very close to Tim Ballard and admitted that she did a lot of cover up for him. She said, quote, there was never a real plan. There was never a real plan to any of their operations. So in other words, that's amazing. It is amazing. Right. This is, this is someone who was with OUR for years and she basically said, she went on a couple of these ops and she got involved in the couple's ruse. And um, for those interested, this is the victim with the initials AA. She's basically saying this is a free for all that, you know, as in the civil complaint, somebody called it an experience vacation, right? That these rich, wealthy guys were showing up and playing cowboys or action adventure heroes in these foreign countries and trying to rescue people and or victims and um and it was all kind of a big fantasy and uh and aa kind of says something similar that you know in many ways she said the couple's ruse was actually not a ruse at all that it wasn't necessary she says quote she says quote she talks about tim being with escorts in mexico here's what she says quote Tim going off alone with one escort was so unnecessary that debunked the entire couple's ruse. Yes. Right. And so again, and again, it it reminds me of Westworld. Like, you know, you let's go to a foreign country where the rules may not apply as much and let's just do our thing. Let's just run wild. And, you know, and, and let me say before I, before we get too far into this, I don't want to. I don't want to say that Tim Bauer didn't do any good. I, you know, I, I'm sure his intentions were good. There may have been some victims that he helped. Uh, I'm I'm quite sure that his numbers were very inflated. But you know, I'm sure very. he did some good too. So let me say that. You know, it, of course, it's ironic that one of the victims said they they went to these brothels in in a foreign country, and this is not AA. This is another victim and. She 
she received a number of names that she thought were related to human traffickers. And she asked Tim Ballard later, whatever happened to all those victims and all the work I did to get those names. And, and Tim said, oh, well, you know, we're working on it. It seems like when people ask where are the real victims and who have you helped, he always comes up empty. He couldn't give her a tangible victim that they assisted or he couldn't identify a single human trafficker. And, um, I, you know, that's not to say that there aren't. I'm sure there are. So I don't want to minimize that too much. I'm sure there are some victims he's helped and, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Even reading this, I felt wasn't worth it either. Like this is such, this is such, it was such a horrible read. I kind of see this as. Yeah. Some so people are arguing. I, I'll, I'll be honest, John, I read it. And after I read it, I, I went along with that narrative. Uh, for our first podcast, after I read the civil suits, I did not think his intentions were ever good. I questioned that, but I guess that's maybe that's for another time. But you know, it's I don't know anymore. I'll be honest. That's how I felt after reading. I don't know if his intentions were ever good or if it was just a fantasy. But well, it, it was definitely a fantasy. But yeah, the the que the larger question there, and there's no question it was a fantasy. Like I said, that that in many ways, so. It, that's why I started with this whole idea of, of the man in black from Westworld, because that's, that's how I kind of see this. And his version of Westworld was, was engaging in these human trafficking operations in foreign countries where there was no accountability or, or less accountability or where people could be paid off. So, yeah. So I, I, I you know, um, in that sense, you can't argue that the man in black or Brian black, who is Tim Ballard, has necessarily has good intentions. So I'm not saying he has good intentions at all. I'm just saying I'm, I, these are still alleged crimes and I'm just giving him some benefit. It seems like True. all of his victims believed. They that he all was believed, doing good. They all believed to some degree that his intentions were good and that he was trying to do good. They realized later that they were completely duped. But at the time, you know, they were true believers. So... Um, I don't know. It's confusing. Did 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 OUR have the infrastructure and the means? They certainly had the money. Did they have the infrastructure and the means and the operations to carry out these projects that really made a difference? I don't know. You know, in, in 2022, they received donations of $56 million. For any normal nonprofit in this arena, that would make a big difference or it could make a big difference. Never mind that 14 million of that went to Tim Ballard, not in his salary, by the way. He made half a million in his salary, but then he funneled, he funneled approximately by most by some accounts of people on the inside. And these numbers, I don't know, these are just in the these are in the civil suit. I'm just using their numbers, so I can't verify this, but he would funnel a lot of money from OUR into his own for-profit businesses. The estimate is that up to $14 million is what he made in 2022. Think about that. So is this about money also? Of course. This is about greed and power and control. Yep, for sure. And we'll get into that a little more as we go along here. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. And I guess, again, it goes back to the whole Chad Daybell thought is, um, you know, Chad Daybell, did Chad Daybell really believe it or not. And in many ways, I think Chad Daybell did believe his delusions and, um, 
there's yeah. So anyway, go ahead. So, yeah. So just let, let me just, so having said that, and, and I do think there is sort of this alter ego, which is actually mentioned by one of the victims, which is troubling. And this alter ego is based in fantasy for sure. Maybe the whole thing is based in fantasy. It's hard to know. I think he, you know, I, I sort of thought that the, the best analogy I could come up with would be something like if, if Rambo was in human trafficking, um, this would sort of be like Peter, Peter Pan meets Rambo, the human, right. traf- <laughs> the, the, the human trafficking hero, right. Or something like that. Yeah. I mean, well, someone, someone also pointed out that Walter White from Breaking Bad, it's Walter White and he's Brian B- Black. I mean, there's just so <laughs> many, <laughs> right? right. Like that's, it's kind right. of, if you're right. It, I mean, it just, I don't know, you know, if, if you're going to do good, and you're you're trying to create this alter ego that's supposed to be this heroic guy saving children from these you know malicious characters in foreign countries it seems to me you wouldn't go with the name Brian Black but he did Brian Black yeah. so so that's interesting the, the even the choice of names so is interesting here it says a lot i think about Tim Ballard and how he perceived himself so what so let's talk about these 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 suits in general. I think one thing that there were there were a lot of things I learned about Tim Bauer that we didn't talk about. The one thing I learned, the couple of things that stood out immediately were how manipulative Tim Bauer is. I mean, I don't I don't know about you, but like it just page after page after page is this guy just bamboozling and manipulating people and lying, right? He's, he's, I, I could, I don't even know where to start with that. I he, thought you're just going to jump into how we know now that he colors his hair and gets missed on tens. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I missed what? I, I didn't see the missed on tan part. Is that? I added that. Sorry. That was, oh, you added that. Okay. Because I think he does, but, but, but we do know that he colors his hair and that he wants it to be blonde and, uh, blonder and blonder. Sorry, that was talked about. <laughs> yeah, I, I did see that because his the person who did his hair actually became one of his victims. So so correct. So that was yeah, that was a big part of one of the victim statements. Um, so I think there's there's three things that we talked about that Jimmy Rex in our previous episode. Jimmy Rex talked about his narcissism, so we kind of mentioned that. Um, that's all over this as well. You know, one of his victims, HDT, says, quote, he feels very much like a narcissist. And then she actually even talks to him about reading books on narcissism to help him with his narcissism. So I'm, I'm sure that worked out well, by the way. I'm sure giving Tim Ballard some books on narcissism is going to cure his narcissism, right? But And I'm not, by the way, I'm not diagnosing here. I'm just saying that these are some, this is some of the language from the victims um, that the victim HDT initials HDT says that she calls him a narcissist. She tries to get him to read some books on narcissism. Uh, HDT also says this is, I love this part. She says earlier when she, when, when Tim Ballard first comes over to get his hair done. So this is relevant to your hairdresser part. She's talking to him and she doesn't know who he is. 
and he's astonished. He can't believe he's it. He's upset by that. He's upset. He's upset. He can't believe it. So she says, I don't, I don't even, who are you? I, I guess you're somebody, but I don't know who you are. And here's what he tells her. You ready for this? He says, quote, I'm actually a big deal. He tells her, I'm going to be the prophet of the LDS church. And I'm going to be the president of the United States of America. <laughs> so Tim Bauer lets her know. And by the way, like, you know, I had my hair cut a few months, I mean, I'm sorry, a few weeks ago. And um, some of you commented on that last week, by the way. Thank you. Um, uh, I, I was picturing getting my hair cut and the stylist uh, saying to me something like, I, I, I recognize you or, you know, um, I think I recognize you. What do you do? I'm, and I'm, <laughs> I can't imagine ever, ever in a million years saying something like that. So in fact, she, she asked me what I did and I just said, I'm an educator because, you know, if I say I'm a clinician or a forensic psychologist, they want to, you know, usually people want to tell me their life story and I didn't want to get into that. But like this whole notion of I'm actually a big deal. Like what? Who says that? What normal human being, like, that's the last thing I'd want to say to someone. I just want to lay low and, you know, get my hair cut. But not Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard says, I'm actually a really big deal, HDT, and you need to take me seriously. So don't mess up my haircut. Right? A part of me even wondered if he targeted her because it upset him so much that she didn't know who he was. Like that's, that's, you know, using, yeah, Jimmy Rex's narcissistic term, uh, you know, that would upset a narcissist. It's, you know, it's almost like I wonder if that's what made him target her even more. It's because she's going to know who I am and she's going to come with me and be my couple ruse partner. Just a thought <laughs> I've had too. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, actually, and I think rejection's a big part of this. We'll, we'll talk a little later about how every one of these these victims, he wanted to know if they were attracted to him. I mean, there's it's like this kind of this almost this desperate childlike quality about, do you think I'm attractive? Do you think I'm like the most handsome kid ever? Right. Like it's it's really it's really at the very least it's immature. But um, but he's he's obsessed with this idea of being attractive and, you know, the victims being attracted to him. And I think. Some of that, no doubt, probably has to do with some of his childhood stuff. I don't, I don't know anything about his childhood, so I can't really comment on that. But um, there does seem to be this intense need for validation, which some of the victims talked about, and there, there, there does seem to be um, sort of this underlying vulnerability that he's really afraid of that he wants to kind of cover up, and he does that through letting people know how, what a big deal he is and how attractive he is and all that kind of stuff. So, but I, I think getting back to this idea of manipulation, you know, it's, it's the reason I think this is important by the way, is because manipulation is, would be, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm not diagnosing here, but manipulation at this level would be consistent with, might be consistent with someone who has some psychopathic traits. That's that what I was thinking. Manipulation is actually, um, and, a, and a, you know, it, there's a, 
there's something called the dark triad, which is really pushing us into like really serious psychopathology. But the dark triad is something that really hardcore criminals seem to have. And there's something called Machiavellianism, which is, which is a version of manipulation. Machiavellianism is when somebody does whatever they, that the means always justify the end, that they do whatever it takes to get what they want. So in other words, Machiavellianism is a version of manipulation. And there you have, I think you really, you have something like that here. You have that quality. And then you have the dark triad is narcissism, uh, psychopathy and Machiavellianism. And so I think you, you're, you're getting a little hint of some of those qualities here and, and, as you might guess, the dark triad is not, it's not considered a favorable group of characteristics. So, um, you know, some of the greatest criminals of all time would be, would, would show the dark triad. So, and I'm, again, I'm not saying those necessarily apply to Tim Ballard, but the level of manipulation here is amazing. And some of the examples would be the, the non-disclosure agreements he requires of everyone, the, his constant, his constant repetition of this idea that this is life and death, that this idea of extreme secrecy, that if you talk about this, we're all going to be killed. The cartels are going to jump in here and they're going to kill us. And he, you know, all the victims said that he was constantly talking about, you know, taxi drivers and Uber drivers. They're all watching us and everyone's watching us because we're so important. And we know, you know, they all know that we're trying to save the world and they all want to stop us. And they're all evildoers. Like, it's it's such a manipulation at such an amazing level. He tells one of the victims that if you ever leave me, I'm going to put a bullet in my brain, or if you ever if you ever reveal these secrets, I'm going to put a bullet in my brain. So, you you know, <laughs> again, manipulation, Machiavellianism. Like, it's 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 mind boggling. I I think we saw some of that before, but. After reading these victim statements, it really stands out. You can see that this is someone who is deeply invested in manipulating other people and getting his way, and he's going to do whatever it takes to do that. So that really stands out. I think the other thing that I didn't see quite clearly, as clearly before, is paranoia, that there's there's a real intense paranoia going on here, which, by the way, is also consistent with some of the most hardcore criminals of all time. And um, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that Tim Ballard is one of those, but I'm just saying that paranoia tends to be a quality that many criminals who get into lots of trouble have. Um, you might ask, okay, where do you see the paranoia? This is from the victim a, with the initials AA, quote, there was always something or someone doing wrong to Tim in Tim's eyes. He told the victim HTD, quote, everyone I love always turns on me. He told that to several of the victims. So not only does this, is there this paranoia about people watching him and trying to get him and trying to hurt him, but he also, he also likes to play the victim. So he steps into the victim role and he kind of, there's one point where one of the victims is going to leave him and he kind of has this meltdown and basically he tells her, you know, look, I, I'm just trying to save the world here. And all these evil people are trying to harm me. And I don't understand why all these people want to come after me. 
because I'm I'm just a do gutter. I'm just even though his name's Ryan Black, <laughs> I'm just trying to do good and save the world, and I don't get it. You know, never mind that. Never mind that. By harming a number of people, the these victims and and apparently many other ones. There's a lot of supposedly, allegedly, there's a lot of other victims out there too who have not come forward, but. Um, over a period of well over a decade of doing this, it's it's not hard to imagine that there, there's many people that he may have potentially harmed. Yeah. What do you what do you think about how he took his son with him to some of these yeah these clubs in Utah and he trained the victims in the couples room with his son there. Yeah, I it's mine. I don't how I didn't know it didn't say his son's age, so I wasn't quite sure. He had just gotten back from a mission, so he would have been 21. Okay. If or he would be 20, 21 um ish because boys go on missions, you know, around 18ish, sometimes uh 19. I think my reaction was probably somewhere to the victims, which was that it, it's appalling. You know, it's it, yeah. he He's bringing his son into these strip clubs to apparently teach him the ways of O.U.R., I guess. But, you know, the, the irony of that whole situation is that he's doing so he's doing this. He's doing this training with the victims so that they can get in character when they go on on actual operations. Right. But he he's doing it in the Salt Lake Basin. So he's going around to strip clubs where they know him. Right? The, right. That's never talked about, but he has to be known. He's probably the best known guy to step through those doors because he goes there all the time to supposedly train people. Right. And so, right. So I'm thinking this is bizarre. Like he's, he's going into these strip clubs that he's been in probably a hundred times and he's bringing his son in there. He knows what goes on in there. He knows there's going to be lap dances. He knows he's going to interact with the, the escorts or whatever, you know, he, he know, I mean, so I don't, I don't know how that's relevant to training someone to be in the couple's ruse. There's something really right. odd and salacious about it. Right. I think, and that, that's starting to move us in the direction of, of sexual deviancy. If there's, if, the, if there is some sexual deviancy here, that's, that's where it's, that's where you start seeing it. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. And Kelly, Kelly points out, you know, he was grooming his son right along with the women he groomed. Someone else pointed out, yeah, Tim also gave his son pills to take. Like, you know that that's an interesting po moment to me. I, I agree. It's one thing to, I mean, well, I don't he, know to take your son along with, you know. I don't. I yeah. It's hard to believe. I mean, clearly, it's it's not something I would ever envision myself doing but yeah right he's trying to he that's i think that's accurate in the sense that he's he's trying to normalize this type of behavior for his son so i um, I, I guess what he's trying to do he's grooming his son to take over his role at some point i guess that or that's a good point grooming his son to think that this is okay and this is what it's about too and then if his son starts normal. if his son starts doing these covert ops or whatever they are that his son can learn how to do it. And his son can also learn how to objectify women and belittle them and treat them. Yeah. this way. You know, I do want to say this. I do have some um, 
inside info um take it or, or leave it i vet my sources but it's a source people are asking about the family and i do believe at this moment in time his wife is standing by him um believing that strip clubs are something he needs to, to, to go for training you know similar similarly to um you know just a person's training that it's part of what he should do. I've also heard uh, from this person that he has been excommunicated from the church and, and that they both feel it's, you know, unjust, both he and his wife, that she just thinks that strip clubs are part of saving children as well. I don't, I don't know how it would be hard to believe that when he clearly knows every strip club in Salt Lake city, he knows their owners. He knows their patron. Right. He knows everything that goes on there. I don't like to go in those strip clubs and get lap dances and interact with the escorts on a sexual level. I, that's that's not training. Right. And as someone said, I think he was doing it to make his son think it was normal. It isn't training. And then think about it. Right. A 501c3 uh, is probably then donating the booze and the visits to the strip clubs because it's under training under the guise of training. Well, not only that, you have as somebody as as they pointed out in the civil suit as the attorney who filed the civil suit pointed out, I think donors should know where their money's going. He's using that money essentially to fund his sexual deviance. And if it's not deviant in the sense that maybe it's consensual, it's not consensual with these victims by the way. We'll talk more about that later, but in the strip clubs where he knows everyone, including presumably the strippers, maybe that's consensual, but he still doesn't need to do it. And he's also using the context of the strip club to commit crimes with his victims in the sense that, right, he's, he's trying to train them and he's using that context to have them perform lap dances and sexual acts on him. Right. So, yeah, I don't I mean, that that was one of the ironies is that that only a few of these victims actually went on ops with him. Most of them just most of them were just in training or right or they were they were going to local strip clubs or they were going to his house or their house or, you know, but nevertheless, he he convinced them that they had to practice. Right. There, there's this. There was this training practice component to everything he was doing, and most of the most of the victims rightly suspected they suspected that something was amiss when he was doing that. Like, why? You know, one of the victims was a couple of the victims were actresses, and they said, "Well, you know, I can get in character whenever necessary. Don't worry about it. Just we don't need to practice." And he said, "Oh no, 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 nope. I, I need to know that there's chemistry. I need to know that you're attracted to me, right?" Um, yeah, he would say, no, this is life or death. You don't understand. I need to know that you can do this because my other couple ruse partners didn't do well and they got us in so much danger. You really have to show me you know what you're doing. I mean, how manipulative. So I, let me just, I'm going to read from one of the, I'm going to read from one of the victim statements here. Um. On this issue, Ballard said he needed to know. This is the victim WW, initials WW. 
page six of her victim statement. Or Ballard said he needed to know WW, WW was attracted to him. Ballard asked WW, WW if she was attracted to him, to which WW said not in that way. Ballard asked how WW <laughs> Ballard WW asked, WW Ballard asked how double W could convince traffickers of chemistry then. She told him she did not need to practice because that was what she was trained to do as an actor, to get into character when in role, but only on action and out and out on cut. Ballard then stated that this was the practice he mentioned, meaning the couple's ruse, and that W.W. needed to be attracted to him in order to convince traffickers that they were, quote, a kinky couple. So she finally convinced him that this attraction component, he, first of all, he's hurt that she's not like instantly attracted to him. She didn't say, yeah, I think you're the most handsome guy I've ever met. She says, I'm not attracted to you in that way. Which also is manipulative because he said to the women, oh, all these couple ruse couples fall in love with me, you know, and it never works out. It never ends well because they always fall in love with me. So, right, you know, and everything's a test too. They, he tells them that everything's a test. So, you know, are you attracted to me? She's like, not in that way. And then that makes him, you know, and he's not happy with that. Well, I need you to be. <laughs> so, so this is, this is the best part. So let me conclude this. So he, he convinces her that attraction is important and she needs to be attracted to him and to show that she's attracted to him. And so she finally agrees. And, and again, I'm reading from the victim statement here, page six, quote, WW approached Ballard in the hallway outside of Ballard's office and put her hand on his chest and spoke to him seductively, saying she could turn it on if she needed to, and then pull back immediately. But at that point, Ballard got excited and said, quote, oh, good, okay, you can do this. So in other words, she doesn't find him initially attractive. He convinces her that she will or that she can so she does this. She just out of the blue, she approaches him in the hallway. She is in in this instance, she initiates the physical contact and that, that, that excites him, right? He's thinking, Oh man. Yeah. Okay. She is now she is attracted to me, even though she admits like she's just doing this as an actress. And, but he, that's what sells him on bringing her on an op is that she, she actually performs this this physical act or this this touching moment and and he believes now that she's attracted to him and that she can do it yeah kathleen i agree it's predator it's predatory behavior predator right. behavior yeah i agree it's it's very predatory. It's predatory and opportunistic. He's extremely opportunistic. Uh, John, and and if you have somewhere you're going, I don't I don't want to interrupt you, but you've you've worked with many many sex offenders. That's more than any other type of criminal. This is what you do. Yeah, I'm just I'm curious. As I'm curious what you make of this. I think there, there, there's so many different types of motivations that sex offenders have, like any criminal. 
And to me, when I look at this, you know, the, the question I'm asking here is what are some of the motives? You know, what, what's driving Tim Ballard to do this? And I think somebody just mentioned this predatory component, one of our, our viewers, and I, I agree. I think there really is sort of this predatory component. And I think that, so the underlying, from what I can tell, um, it, it appears to me that there's a big component of power and power and control. And typically you would see that in a sex offender, you would see that with sex offenders that engage in assault particularly. That a lot of times assault, and I have to be careful, I'm not using the terms I would normally use because of YouTube. So, Right, we're not trying to ever minimize anything. We just yeah, skip not, over. I'm trying to be careful with my words here because if I use one word, YouTube will, will take this video down. So um, I think... There's, I think there's this underlying component of power and control, which as somebody just, as we just talked about, has a predatory component and the goal is fantasy fulfillment. So it's, the goal is to the fantasy fulfillment of the sexual deviance. And I think the sexual deviance is really about dominating women. So there, there, if you look at sex offenders in general, there's so many motivations, um, and, and most of them are quite different, but I, I think this kind of fits in the category. And again, I should point out, he hasn't been charged criminally. It's mentioned in the civil suit that these are criminal-like offenses, and I agree with that. But whether criminal charges are coming, I don't know. Sean Reyes, the Attorney General of Utah, is a friend of Tim Ballard. So you tell me if criminal charges would ever be coming. I don't know. Anyway. This feels a lot like a uh, sexual offender that would be most concerned with assault and specifically sexual assault. And so I yeah. think in, in, in some ways, in, in these types of situations, the goal isn't really, yes, there is a, a, a deviance component, but oftentimes the goal isn't even necessarily sexual. I mean, it is, but... It's it's also about domination and it's about having power over someone else. So so I think I think that's sort of how I perceive these these particular crimes or alleged crimes. Okay. Thank you. I was curious, yeah, how you how you perceive this and um if if this were all accurate and this was a pattern and this is you know all true, um, risk factor wise. Oh yeah, he he definitely has a clear mo. I think that he he tends to in terms of criminal acts. I think a lot of this is is what we would call lewdness. So lewdness would be. I think a lot of people think you know one thing that's interesting about this civil suit is that the lawyer who authors it says, well, there were certain rules, like there couldn't be any penetration and there was no kissing. Right. And so some people might read that and think, oh, wait a minute, those aren't sex crimes. But the reality is that if you fondle someone, even if you fondle them over the clothes, which means if you touch someone over the clothes, that's a sexual offense. Uh, that's called lewdness. So, and Tim Ballard was doing way more than that. Tim Ballard was 
in many cases, he was getting very aggressive. There are moments in these statements that are just, you know, in some ways they're just, you know, it's, it's, I don't know for somebody who, who claims to be saving children from human trafficking, it's unimaginable that that's, that that person would engage in this type of behavior because there's, there's, there's instances in here where he pushes the victim against a door, pins them against a door. He pushes them down on the bed multiple times. He pins a victim against the wall. He grinds on the victims. He gropes them. He fondles them. That's, that's all either lewdness or assault, depending on how it gets interpreted and depends on the state. But, but you know, it, it's, and the reason that's true is because it's not consensual. So if any of that was consensual in the sense that if you, if you pin someone up against the wall and he, in one case, he, he pinned someone up against the wall and he pulled up their shirt and he started kissing their stomach. Like if that's consensual, that's one thing, but it wasn't consensual. The victim did not want that act to occur. And so that, that's what makes it a crime. That's what makes it lewdness. A quick word from our sponsor. While Shopify has already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world, did you know Shopify can do the same thing for your very own retail store? With Shopify, you unite both in-person and online sales, tracking every sale in one place. Hidden True Crime uses Shopify's tools to help us build marketing campaigns for all of our social media platforms, and their plug-in tools are as unique as our business, allowing us multiple ways to accept payments and promote our store. Plus, Shopify's help is always there to support our success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash hidden true crime, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash hidden true crime for a $1 per month trial period to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash hidden true crime. Yeah, I hope, I hope that criminal charges come down in this situation. I do. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty serious, and I and I serious. guess it's very serious. In fact, there's I don't know if I'm going to read it, but in in the victim statement by HDT, if you read the last part where there's an assault occurring, um, the language is it's it's really horrendous. That she tells him to stop multiple times, he doesn't stop. She says she's terrified. It's very hard to read, and it's it's entirely consistent with the criminal act that would be considered a word I can't say. Let's call it assault. Yeah. Someone wrote a little bit ago with a question. They said, you know, they, they watched an interview with him. They felt uneasy about him from the very, very beginning. Yet everybody else, you know, so many other people didn't see it. This is um, according to a question far back. And they wanted to know what it is. And I think that and maybe I should just simply ask you, you see this again and again, people really, really trusted him or still trust him. And, and yet other people see through him and, and you know, the, the, just the controversy of, of the movie sound of freedom shows that some people 
um, have always been wary of him while other people see him as a hero. What is it? What can we look for? What, what is it that you see again and again? I know that you saw red flags with him. I know that you and I have been talking about him for a long time as a psychologist. What do you, what do you see? I think if, if someone is making claims that are preposterous, if somebody is saying that something is too good to be true, it usually is. So if you're claiming that you're going to save all the children in the world from human trafficking, that's preposterous. Nobody's going to do that. Human trafficking is a real problem. I agree. I totally agree with that. It's a problem. We need a lot of help to help victims. We talked about our last show. Most of them are right here in our backyard. They're not in foreign countries. There are some in foreign countries, of course. But I think, I think the reason you can see through someone like this is because he's promising something that he's not going to deliver. And there's something that's it's it's right that he's his version of utopia. So in in any cult, they'll promise you utopia. Chad Daybell is going to promise the New Jerusalem. The victims actually talk about the new covenant. He's promising that the new covenant. That's a world where sin is erased, and we could just go up to the you know I guess the New Jerusalem. And so I I think you have someone here who's. You know, we talk, again, we talked about this last time about being kind of the messiah, a messiah or savior complex. When somebody is promising you something that you know is false or untrue or it can't be delivered, then they're, they're probably misleading you. They're probably, there's something off. At the very least, the grandiosity there is excessive, right? Like, be wary of people that are grandiose. In other words, the snake oil salesman. Yeah, like the grifter. To, to like, learn, to, yeah, like with a snake oil salesman back in the day. I can solve all of your physical problems. You can't walk. I'll give you this potion, and you'll be able to walk. You know that's right. Exactly. It's just too good to be true. And it's a, it's a version you know, of that. Oh, there's there's a prop. There's a human trafficking problem. I'm going to go solve it. I'm going to rescue thousands of kids because let's be honest. Like, it's not like numerous undercover officers haven't been trying to do this for forever. If anybody's been paying attention, we just don't publicize it because that doesn't help human trafficking victims all the time. And going back to going back to what the victim AA said, there was never a real plan. Right. Like you can't you, if your planning is that you take out a psychic to tell you where the, the missing kids are or you take out a psychic to give you intel that, you know, I mean, that's not real. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's saying to me, Lauren, are you asking why some people have a BS detector that operates alongside hero <laughs> worshipers? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if that's exactly what I was asking. I think I was more asking about signs where we can all improve our uh, BS detector. But that is an interesting question. Um do some people have a better BS detector along with people that have that are more prone to hero worshipers? I don't I don't know if that's a thing you want to get into, but I am grateful that you're yep. sharing signs we can look for. It's it's this is an age old question. You know, why are people attracted to cult leaders? Cults are, cults are universal and they've ex they've existed throughout human history. And there there's a reason why. 
It's because we want that hero to solve our problems. We want that magic bullet. We want that pill that's going to give us the fountain of youth, right? We all like that's what these people are selling. It could be a politician, it could be Tim Ballard, it could be Chad Daybell, but I think that's what to be that, that's what we need to be leery of. It could be someone you're dating, right? You're just looking to have a relationship with them and they're going to maybe they're going to tell you that they're going to solve all your problems and all your childhood wounds are going to go away, right? That's what Chad Daybell did that with Lori. Mm-hmm. Those right. are all red flags. I think all red you know, flags. You want someone who's grounded, someone who knows who they are or has a sense of self, someone with some humility, right? All of the, there's there's all these qualities that would kind of buffer this type of grandiosity. Zanzer says, because he's using God in an emotionally charged moral cause like this, like so many do, to gain trust and so no one questions him. Um, somebody else writes, you know, that sometimes when people, oh, brilliant trash writes, I do think that a lot of people, once they hear what they want to hear, they stop asking questions. And that and that brings up an issue that, that, that brings up one of the more appalling issues in all of this, and that is, this and this blew me away. So this is in the both civil suits. This absolutely blew me away. But the couple's ruse was a policy. In other words, as as the lawyer says in the in the suit, the couple's ruse was instituted. They know about it. They sanctioned it. They supported it. They affirmed it. And especially people at the top, the board the upper administrators, they all knew about the couple's route. In fact, they knew about it to such a degree that they wrote it into their policies and procedures. Right? That's right. amazing. Yeah. That's, a, so That's amazing. Not, not only do you have Tim Ballard doing these horrible things to his employees and these victims, but you have this whole infrastructure at OUR. So last time we asked what OUR knew, and now we know. You have this whole infrastructure, administrative infrastructure at OUR supporting this and condoning it and being complicit. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that which... by the way, that, by the way, is why there's so many defendants named in the lawsuit. Because the lawyer is arguing that all these people knew and they did nothing to stop it. And that for the most part, I mean, there's a lot of charges in there, but for the most part, they have what's called a fiduciary duty to their clients, especially a nonprofit. And the fiduciary duty is to protect their employees and to work in their best interests. And that's completely the opposite of what they were doing. Somebody should have stepped in somewhere and said, this is enough. There's, there's, <laughs> I'm not going to mention their names, but there are multiple people named by the victims who not only knew about it, they saw what was going on and they knew firsthand. And I'm pretty sure you're probably going to see them at trial, but I think some of them are defendants. So you may not, they'll be at their own trials, but still it's. Yeah. Elizabeth is saying there's a mass hysteria going on where these narcissists are encouraging each other to believe their own BS as in their visions and dreams. This must be further investigated. Go Lauren, go John. I want to point out something else. That uh, thank you, Elizabeth. I want to point out something else with that, where they're encouraging each other to believe their own BS. 
not only was OUR like OUR was a very uh I've I've been talking to a lot of people, a lot of people. OUR very rarely hired someone that was not LDS. One of the victims in the lawsuit is not LDS. But um Tim Ballard really, really wanted to keep this in his faith family, if that makes sense. And to me, that's also a red flag. If you're not willing to hire people outside of your political or religious realm or to be open to other people's ideas, to me, that's also a sign of, of a cult of someone that's afraid of outside voices. And they do encourage one another you know, to believe, as you say, Elizabeth, uh, and, uh, you know, their own bullshit. Exactly. Um, I think that's a warning sign I want to throw out there. If if they're not willing, again, and he did a, you know, Tim Ballard was into political divides, into religious divides. If you're not open to other people and other people's experiences and opinions and thoughts and what they can bring to the table, that's a concern. You might be in a cult. <laughs> yeah thank you kathleen and we are we are here uh, in fact as far as uh and going on with elizabeth's comment i just want to say i'm here in um utah i've already met with john delin earlier today with mormon stories uh we've been on several phone calls i'm going to be talking to more people after this live is over and um, on Tuesday, we're, we plan to do something on Tuesday, but um, there are a lot of the same players. When we've been see seeing uh, similar cases in the news, from Chad Deba, Lori Vallow, Jody Hildebrandt, Tim Ballard, there are some, as you say, the same people over and over again in all these stories, and, and we're going to tackle that. Tuesday because I'm so sick of seeing this again and again and again. And John and I would like to branch out and cover other crimes too. <laughs> well, so, we did last week. Yeah, we did last week. Yes. Let me, so th there's a couple other things that, that stood out. I mean, there's, there's a lot in these state victim statements that are, are really interesting and, and give us a better picture of Tim Ballard, but one of the other components I thought that was so. Let let me back up about a, a little bit and talk about this institutional component of for the couples ruse, knowing what it was and supporting it at OUR. You know, when I when I when I saw that in the civil complaint, I actually thought it kind of reminded me a little bit of what CBS calls failure to protect, in the sense that so failure to protect is a charge when, for example, in a house. There might be some type of abuse, and one of the parents knows about the abuse, but they don't do anything to protect the child. In other words, they don't report it or they don't respond to the abuse in any way. In some ways, what you had them was an institutional version of failure to protect. And it's also interesting that on several of these, these trips, these foreign human trafficking rescue operations that the victims were in these situations where they were in these brothels and escorts would enter the room. And so Tim Ballard's main 
his main goal was to get information. He he targeted escorts because he saw them as his main source of information to get the names of traffickers and therefore to get the names of children. So they're in. They always seem to gravitate towards these these brothels with escorts, and they're in these rooms. And some of the escorts basically are starting to assault the victims. And there was one case where one of the victims was in there playing the couple, playing the right, the wife, playing the role of the wife, and she's being assaulted. And she says, I need to leave. I have a meeting. And Tim Ballard says, what meeting? You don't have a meeting, right? Like, in other words, multiple, there's multiple instances where these, these assaults were taking place. And Tim Ballard was in the same room and he did nothing. He did nothing to protect them. He did nothing to protect the victims, right? He just watched it. And, you know, those moments to me were really important and disgusting in a way because at the very least, he should have been protecting them. And they had, he, you know, he had a code word, which we can't say, but he had a code word to get out of the room and to protect the victims. And oftentimes he didn't use the code word. In fact, the victims would use the code word, the safe word, and he would do nothing, right? And so- Nothing. And so- there's, there's, and this gets me to the final component. There's almost the sadistic component here in the sense that Tim Ballard is, not only is there kind of a voyeuristic component to, to these types of behavior, like, you know, he's, he's a voyeur in the sense that he's watching this, these assaults occur. He's not doing anything. In fact, you could argue that he's becoming more aroused, but, but he's, he's, he's actually relishing it. There's something sadistic about what's going on in those rooms in the sense that not only is he setting those situations up, he knows what's going to occur, but he's not doing anything to intervene or protect the victims. So I think, you know, I think you see the sense in which he's almost enjoying some of these victims being harmed. And I think that's what really, that's what's really disturbing here. You know, the manipulant, the Machiavellianism, the potential narcissism, right? The, the, if you throw in kind of the sadistic element, this is someone who potentially could hurt a lot of people. It seems like he already has. But when you throw in that component, now you're talking about a next level criminal psyche. You're talking about actually enjoying when people are being harmed. Yeah, those stories were really disturbing to me. And and then the code word that we won't share here, um, the code word added to it. The code word was not a fun word for these women to say. Yeah. The code word was part of the fantasy. It was an upsetting thing that they had to say. It was demeaning. Didn't want, it was a demeaning thing that they had to say. Like yeah. it, it, it all showed that it was like some act. Yeah. That he wanted to watch. So they're saying something demeaning while being in a situation that is frightening and he looks and watches. Right. And not once, not twice, many, many times. Yeah. And then if they choose to leave or save themselves, he says, oh, why'd you do that? We were so close to getting phone numbers of traffickers. And he would know Spanish and the women would not. So they would not know what he was saying. Add that to it, too. They just had to truly trust him. 
Well, there there was one instance with one of the victims where, right, where the victim didn't speak Spanish. He was actually making sexual jokes with the escorts. And I can't give details because, again, YouTube, but that he was he was making reference. He was kind of joking about certain sexual things. And the escorts took that as a signal to engage or to assault the woman, the victim in the room who didn't speak Spanish. And they did. And he thought it was funny. And when I say assault, I mean like full on sexual assault. Um, question by Cece. She, she did reach out to me before the show and wanted us to expand on the code word. Um, it was a demeaning code word. Um, why do you, why did he choose that? You know, I think it goes the back F to the if the, the F word was involved in it. So, if the underlying but, issue is domination or you know, power and and domination, I think it has to do with that. I think the code word reflects this desire to kind of humiliate and dominate these victims, not just the victims, but the women in these countries that he's interacting with. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard from several people. I want to, I want to point out one warning sign that I, I think is always underlooked when it comes to spiritual manipulation and spiritual manipulation is, is definitely part of the couple Drews. And I think that's why m the majority of his victims uh, shared his same faith, you know, it's much more easily, uh, he's much more easily able to manipulate them spiritually. But, um, you know, so he is always talking about his wife, Catherine, um, who who seems, you know, very innocent in all this and, and believing of her husband. And he's always sharing how amazing Catherine is in his speeches, how she is more spiritual than he is, how she is just wonderful, how she has sacrificed so much that she's a widow, you know, that she's amazing. And Someone else wrote me um, and their family member also was an OUR employee. And they said it was very similar in that um, this person was a man, but that he was always on the phone. And when we were at, when they were at family functions, when he would finally get time off of work, he would be pulled by Tim personally and have to talk to Tim. And then Tim would tell the wife, she was a saint you are a saint. You are so spiritual. And then people would kind of respond to her. Oh, you are sacrificing so much. So your husband can do such good. That's like a really great way. I just want to say this in my opinion, calling someone a saint is a really great way to get them to dismiss poor behavior. So like, for example, someone acts poorly towards someone rather than holding that person accountable and saying, you know what, you should be with your family and you should stop working. You just call the other person that's dealing with the bad behavior, a saint. You know, Catherine is a saint. She's so spiritual because she's dealing with shit, you know? So rather than holding Tim Ballard accountable, Oh, just call the person who's dealing with it, a spiritual saint. <laughs> uh, that is something I see again and again in spiritual manipulation. And I just want to point that out. My grandmother you know, stayed with an abusive man because people called her a saint. Like, stop the sainthood. Start calling the person out doing, you know, who is who has poor behavior rather than calling the people who are being affected by the poor behavior a wonderful person for dealing with it. 
is something I want to point out too. I see this with Tim Ballard. It's it's more manipulation. Yeah. So, sorry, but that's what I want to point out with spiritual manipulation. Right. If someone if someone calls you a saint again and again and again for putting up with poor behavior, it's probably um to get you from calling the person out for their poor behavior. Thank you. Have a uh, Haba is asking, Dr. John Lauren, can you talk about how visions of glory tied into Tim Ballard's manipulations and abuse, or if it did at all? Well, I mean, did you see where Tom Harrison is mentioned, John, in the in the docs? Yes. Yeah. And visions of glory. Yeah. Yes. That's that's a big topic that maybe we should refer the person to your upcoming discussion this week. Yes. Yes. This Tuesday, we're going to deep dive into this. How is Visions of Glory and Spencer and Visions of Glory tied into Ballard's manipulations and abuse? Or if it did at all, I believe it did tie into it. Absolutely. And I believe it ties into Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow. And I believe it ties into Jody Hildebrand. I believe it's tied into a lot of things that we're seeing recently. I'm always, lo- I, I, you know, I've been looking for the common denominator because as someone put it out, it's been 2023 has been a heck of a year for Mormons and crime. Uh, we don't want to chain. We don't want to turn into a Mormon channel here. We're a true crime channel, but we need to figure out what's going on, and that's what our, I'm here in Utah, and we're going to talk about it more. But I am curious, though, John. Separate from that, what you thought about the visions and the spiritual stuff going on with Tim Ballard? Yeah. It, well, I mean, it. 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 It puts them. It, <laughs> I think there's there are relevant analogies with Chad Daybell. It yeah. it it moves this from being from having to do the from being kind of a an, an organization to help victims of human trafficking into something else, into more of a cult or a spiritual endeavor, right? It it. It, it changes the the playing field a little bit. And it, it certainly moves Tim Ballard from being kind of this action-adventure hero into being something else, a cult leader, a prophet. He says he's going to be the next Mormon prophet. Obviously, he's not now because he's been excommunicated. So apparently, he didn't see that coming. But the... All of the, the same elements that you see with Chad Daybell, that he sees angels, he he believes that he's been married in past lives. He tells one of the victims, we were married in her past life, therefore it's okay if I do this. He's going to be a future prophet. He's going to be a senator. He's going to be president of the United States. He has visions and dreams. Like It's all, right, it's all of the same stuff. But it, it's what, I think it's it's definitely what kind of changes the context here from a tip, you know, maybe a, a, I don't know, a secular or maybe a normal organization that's, that's on the ground trying to deal with human trafficking to something else. Yeah. Agree. Thank you. It does become wild. Anything else you'd like to talk about, John? I I love the quote that the lawsuits start with, the Carl Sagan quote about being bamboozled. 
Any thoughts on that quote that they decided to start the lawsuit out with? Uh, yeah, I think it's great. Um, I I, I want to, are we about to wrap here in a little bit? We are, we're, we're wrapping okay. up. And so that's why that I, I, we are officially wrapping up. Let me just read this quote from Paula Marie, um, friend of the program, how we strive to live a deeply faith-filled life for some to have in quotes, a man doing the Lord's work and tells us that we are saints that leads some to believe giving up their partner is a service to be sacrificed. Exactly. Thank you for explaining it better than I could Paula. And thank you so much, Reb. Thank you for all you do as well. And thank you for your support. We are wrapping up, babe. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause I, I just want to wrap up with a few thoughts and, and then uh, um, I want to read a little, um, a little case study from a book that I, I on fantasy that I think is relevant. But um, the other thing I want to uh, mention that's in the victim statements that I think was really interesting is Tim Ballard's problems with drugs and alcohol that Tim Ballard has a substance abuse problem. It seems to be very severe. And um, I think that's interesting too, right? Because <clears throat> clearly for someone who, who claims to be a spiritual leader and drug free, right? Especially in the Mormon faith that the word of wisdom, you're not supposed to drink alcohol or engage in drug use. And Tim Ballard, if he wants to be the next prophet of the Mormon church, Certainly can't do those things, but he is doing drugs. He's doing alcohol. He's taking pills. I don't know what those are. He does ketamine, which <laughs> um, is essentially a horse tranquilizer, but it's also used for to treat depression. And he uses ketamine. And so did you read that part? Yes. He, he took ketamine and he brought in a scribe to record his visions. <laughs> for, yep. for yeah, yeah, right. But right, that I mean, think about that too. That think of how grandiose that is too. I'm going on a. I'm going to do some ketamine, and I need a scribe <laughs> because it's truth serum, and I need everyone to be here for this moment because it's so profound. So I, I bring up the substance abuse issue because I think it shows not only kind of this double life these these living like. Brian Black, apparently, this, his alter ego can do drugs, and that's fine because he's doing it in foreign countries or in strip clubs or wherever. But, but So, again, you have kind of this split personality or this Jekyll Hyde situation. I, I think it also shows that, that this is a troubled human being. And this is a, a, a person with mental health issues, and many of the victims recognize that. They talk about it quite openly. Uh, they attribute some of his mental health issues to – his operations and stress. And I think they sort of see it as maybe some version of PTSD or trauma. And so there, I think, interestingly enough, I think they're willing to kind of excuse some of his behavior because they see that they believe that all these operations he he's, he's going on are creating a lot of trauma and therefore it's impacting his mental health. Uh, I'm not sure if that's accurate, but that's how some of the victims see it. So my point is that I, this is someone with, um, you know, this is this is someone who's troubled. This is not someone that you want to be the next prophet of any church. So, <laughs> little Timmy's not going to be the prophet. <laughs> well, I, he'd have to do <laughs> he'd have to do some real fast talking and manipulating to get back in the church's good graces. I'm sure. 
Um, President of the United States, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't rule that out. Anything seems possible there. So maybe he can still achieve that. But um, here, a couple. So I want to I want to read a little bit from H, HDT is a victim. And you, you guys can all read this in this victim statement. But there, towards the end of the statement, there's really some remarkable stuff about Tim Ballard that's worth if you want to understand Tim Ballard, some of that you you can you can see some you can gain some real insight into Tim Ballard in this statement. Um, so he's he's trying a couple of moments in here. I, I think are kind of worth revisiting. That he's so the, the HDT has his friend. I won't mention the name of the friend, but he wants to. He wants to help Tim, and so the victim agreed to to kind of get up, set up a meeting with this person, and he comes over. Tim comes over to meet this person, this guy, and to talk about you know what it's like to go on operations, and uh, Tim Bauer just kind of loses it. So this is I'm going to read a little bit from this statement. Tim started telling him that if he wanted to be an operator, that it's a crazy, horrible job. He started being very, very vulgar, talking about things that they have to say to traffickers in order to get them to believe that they are there to buy children. He was saying horrible, awful things about things he would want to do to kids. And his face changed, his demeanor changed. But not only that, it was like he kind of couldn't get out of the mode. He couldn't change back. He became vulgar, and I didn't recognize him. And that's when Tim started freaking out. He was opening my cupboards and slamming them. The vic- so the victim leaves the room. She says, I went upstairs, and I could, still hear, him ye- I could stare- still hear Tim yelling. I shut my bedroom door. I was honestly afraid. He was yelling, and I could hear doors slamming, and my cupboards opening and shutting again. I mean, so, you know, why is that an important moment? Number one, Tim Ballard has this real streak of aggression yes. and violence, right? Like that that's not a normal. So the purpose of this meeting was to convince the friend or talk to the friend about getting into trafficking. And it becomes this out of control, over the top, <laughs> aggressive door slam. And this isn't Tim Ballard's house, by the way. This is... This is at someone else's home. He's slamming, one of the women's home. Yeah, right. He's slamming cupboards, and the and she feels afraid because he's so out of control. So this isn't some docile, you know, patient, right, kind guy who's just going to listen and give some feedback. He just absolutely loses it in a moment when he shouldn't lose it, right? And so I think this gives you a little picture. Again, let's go back to the analogies we started with about Brian Black. This is a guy who is showing us right here that he can be extremely aggressive and that he has a lot of inner rage. I don't know exactly where that comes from, but it's there. So here's another moment from the same statement by HDT. This is really important. Um, 
I, I'll just throw this in because we're talking about it. Uh, Tim Ballard believed that he and I had been married in a different life. That is why he was so physically attracted to me and emotionally attached to me. He, I, I'm going to be careful what I, I'm going to, I'm going to edit some of this because I don't, you know, yes. because of YouTube. Tim put his hands underneath my shirt in the back and he started to pull up my shirt. A month, but about a month before I had just had surgery. So I told him to stop. I said, Tim, that hurts. He said he'd be careful. I was nervous. I didn't want to hurt myself, but I didn't, I didn't want him to hurt me. I was really nervous about the situation. I was trembling. I asked him multiple times to stop. He kept saying to me, just trust me. You can just trust me right now. All I could think to say was just stop and ask him what's going on. And he still had his hands underneath my shirt and he pulled it off the top of my head. He said, I just want to see, I just want to see you. I was trying to get off the couch. I told him it was hurting me. I wanted to get up. He was standing over me. So I'm having a hard time standing up. I turn over on my stomach and finally stand up. As I'm standing up, he takes his shirt off and he grabs me and he just hugs me. He said, I just need to feel, I just need to feel you. I just need to be skin to skin. The victim says, I'm honestly terrified. I'm not sure what to do. I felt scared. I felt nervous. I said to Tim, this isn't you. He yelled, he yelled a little bit and he said, quote, I don't even know who I am. I caught that too. Wow. And so that's a fascinating moment to me because you, there's an admission from Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard, quote, I don't even know who I am. Is Tim Ballard Brian Black? Is he the man in the is he the man in black from Westworld? Is he Tim Ballard? Who is this guy? So he's engaging in this assault. The victim is screaming, "Don't stop, please! I'm hurting." The victim's terrified. He continues. He doesn't. He doesn't. It doesn't matter what she says. He continues, and he says, "And this isn't going to help, by the way. Like I'm sure it's not going to help her fear to assault to say to say to someone you're assaulting." I don't even know who I am, but what, what a moment, what an honest moment of right of, of what a revelation by Tim Ballard about him not really even knowing who he is. I, I felt that was a real moment too. He was out of control and he said, I don't even know who I am. And I, I think that's, um, that's sort of the crux of this, that if you think about the story of Narcissus, the story of Narcissus is that he looks in the pond and he only sees his image and he sees how beautiful he is and he only loves himself. And the problem with Narcissus is because Narcissus can't see anyone else or get any feedback from the environment or from other people in the environment, he can't possibly know who he is. And that's where the diagnosis of narcissism comes from that when you only see yourself and you only reflect on yourself, you really can't learn who you are and you really can't gain any insight into who you are. And so that moment is, is amazing. I mean, it's, it's a terrifying moment because you, I could just, you can feel HDT's pain and fear 
and and yet here you get this kind of unfiltered confession from Tim Ballard about who he is. And and he doesn't know who he is. And so if you don't know who you are, you're more likely to engage in criminal behavior and you're more likely to hurt people. And you're right that in some ways you have you have no core, you have no moral compass. And and that's how that's how I think you can you can move into the territory of of someone engaging in these types of behaviors and maybe stealing millions of dollars from a nonprofit and becoming completely self-serving. So, um, you know, ironically, if I go back to my, my original thoughts about the man in black from Westworld, um, there's a difference in the sense that the man in black in Westworld, he knows who he is. He's, he, he acknowledges it. He says, essentially, I shed my skin and I recognize that the darkness was in me all along, right? And, and so I think in a way, Tim Ballard is in some ways even more frightening because he doesn't see the darkness. And he doesn't recognize the darkness, even though the darkness is overtaking him. Right. And that that's why I think there's also this distrust of people that talk about how wonderful they are and all the wonderful work they're doing. And yet there's this kind of underlying menacing, I don't know, let's call it darkness that's sort of taking over their lives. And you maybe perhaps we sense that. Yes. When you've convinced yourself you're the good guy, then how can anything you do possibly be bad? I like that, Sterling. Yes, exactly. Let me just, so maybe I'll just wrap with this. This this is, so I'm reading from, um, this book is called By Force of Fantasy, How We Make Our Lives. It's by Ethel Person, P-E-R-S-O-N. It was published in... 1995. It's not a new book, but um, it's a fascinating book about the role of fantasy in our lives. She actually talks about a case. She has a case study here of a middle-aged man who had a, a neglectful childhood and he had an undiagnosed learning disorder. So he struggled in school. Now at this point in his life, he was highly successful and he entered into treatment for two reasons. Number one, he was involved in excessive extramarital fears, which does that sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> and two, he had a fear of professional failure. So I, I think both of those to me sound like Tim Ballard. Yes. And he's having, so this, this client that she's seen is having this fantasy and um, not unlike Tim Ballard. And that's why it's relevant. So I'm just going to read this and we can close with this, but um, she says, this is page 90. The patient had enjoyed the fantasy of being a leader on a white horse surrounded by cheering masses. As a variation of this fantasy, he sometimes envisioned leading his people in a successful battle against an enemy and establishing a peaceful society. I understood this fantasy as a defense against the patient's inner reality covering up feelings of weakness and inadequacy and his resulting rage. The fantasy was a leitmotif in the patient's psyche, 
needed to reinforce his inhibition against his own aggression and to reverse his self-image from victim to charismatic leader. Beginning in his student days, when he had been punished and ridiculed for his poor performance in school, the daydream had assuaged his shameful feelings of powerlessness, comforting him and providing narcissistic gratification. So I, 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 I remembered that case. I don't know why, but um, I remembered that case the last time I read this book. And I, I, I for some reason, I, I thought that you have the same dynamics there with Tim Ballard, that the fantasy is the same. It's this fantasy of, right, this fantasy of um, being the leader on a white horse and leading people successfully into battle, right? And um, the, the purpose of the fantasy is to cover up feelings of weakness and inadequacy. And the dream is that he can get rid of his shameful feelings of powerlessness and he can find comfort in his narcissistic gratification. And I think I would say the exact same things for Tim Ballard. I think the same dynamics apply. So Tim Ballard's fantasies obviously are that he's going to rescue all these kids from harm and in doing so apparently save the world and that he'll become a prophet. But I think the those underlying issues of power and powerlessness are really what's driving this story. And um, because Tim Bauer doesn't, doesn't have any awareness of those issues, I think you, you end up with this kind of predatory opportunistic behavior uh, and, and really the underlying basis for it is uh, domination. Yes. Anything else? Nope. That's it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I never want to cut you off. That's why I ask. <laughs> End of Thank story. Thank you, everyone. End of story. Done. Thank you, everyone, for being here tonight. Um, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for liking our channel. Thank you for joining Patreon, patreon.com slash crime, a place where if you appreciate our content, it means a lot to us uh, for you to join Patreon. It's a place where you can support us, and we do try to give back and share um, just for Patreon episodes and, and other things that you'll find there. Thank you to our moderators. And well, let's not forget the book club. How can I forget <laughs> yeah. the book club and that you also join that through Patreon, patreon.com slash hidden true crime. Right, guys, I'm going to take off and uh, we'll see you guys all uh, later this week. We'll see you guys later. Have a great night. All right. Good night. Good night. Hello, Hidden Gems. It's Lauren with Hidden, a true crime podcast. As a TV reporter, I learned the art of visual storytelling. So if you're like me, you enjoy listening, but also viewing. You can actually head to our YouTube channel, Hidden True Crime, to watch these interviews. Hit the subscribe button for surprise lives and breaking news. And for exclusive content, things Dr. John and I only dare say behind a paywall, become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash hidden true crime. You'll find bonus episodes, early releases, and insider info. Thank you for your endless support.